Hello, everybody. You are listening to Nashville Demystified. Nashville Demystified is hosted by me, Alex Steed. It is also a program, uh, a program, how quaint, a podcast, a show in which I get to know the city better by talking with the folks who live, work, agitate, and make art here. It is brought to you by Knack Factory, a commercial content production house. If you need a video produced, you need some photos shot for your commercial endeavor or wherever you need this sort of thing done, talk with Knack Factory. And it's distributed by We Own This Town, which is a collection of podcasts by and for Nashvillians. And you can also listen if you are not a Nashvillian. Uh, you listening out there who may not be a Nashvillian. Today we talk with Maya DeVitri. I don't even know where to begin with Maya. Maya is a singer-songwriter. She has a album out called Adaptations, and she was once in a band called uh, The Stray Birds. And a lot of people know The Stray Birds, which was a band that was based here in Nashville for years. It was around for, they were around for seven years. You know, they were they were part Americana, part bluegrass, sort of swingy, maybe. A lovely band, fronted by Maya. And then they weren't a band anymore as of a couple years ago. And Maya, uh, a musician, had to decide how much music would keep being in her life or being a part of her life, what her role as a musician would be. And that's a thing. That's a whole thing. When When your identity is musician and then you're no longer in the project that a lot of people know you for, you gotta figure some stuff out. <laughs> it's not always easy. And we talk with Maya about that. She has, a, you know, she has this album out called Adaptations and she has a, a new one coming out or that she's working on called How to Break a Fall that she just successfully funded by way of a crowdsourced crowdfunding campaign. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it is a stressful venture. We talk a bit about that. We talk about what process she had to go through to figure out who she is now and what role music plays in her life. Uh, We talk about her time in Nashville. There are all sorts of things that get coverage in this episode with the lovely and talented Maya DeVitri. And I say lovely because this person actually is a fundamentally lovely uh, and singular person. Singular voice for sure. I don't know many other people who sound like Maya and, and make music like she does. I don't know anyone. That's what makes her singular, my friends. But first, Naturally Mystified is on social media. Uh, we like connecting with you on the internet, so you can connect with us there. We, in this case, is me. I don't know why I'm using the royal we, as it were. Uh, you can find me, Oh, as Nashville Demystified on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find me, Alex Steed, on Instagram and those other places as well, on Twitter as well. Don't find, let's stop with Facebook unless we are selling a thing like a podcast. You don't have to find me there. I did, however, get a TikTok account and I know what you're thinking. You, sir, are easily 17 years too old to have a TikTok account and you are not wrong. But what I do there is I don't don't use it correctly to form. I just read excerpts from literature <laughs> and journalism, which means no one's going to engage it. So if you want to find me there, I'm there as Alex Steed reading Annie Dillard quotes. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, so find us on the internet, subscribe, do all those things. Let's talk to Maya, shall we? Just came from uh, Columbus, Mississippi yesterday. And you, a couple of days ago, you had a Kickstarter successfully funded yeah, for a new so record. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. I've never done anything like it. And it's been amazing to connect with every person who's been getting on board. And I'm like really emotional about it because 
it just feels like music is free right. now. And so for people's vote of confidence in like recorded music and like mm. an album, it's like really amazing. Yeah, I, was, I wanted to ask you about that. Like I've been behind like maybe four project Kickstarters before and they're always like emotional at the end and super stressful, like peaks and valleys of stresses in the middle because you don't necessarily know what's happening and there's days that are more active than other days. <laughs> and I mean, what what made you go that, that route and sort of what was the process like for you? Well, I think the process really started with making the record, which was last January. Mm. And so I went in to start the second record on the day that I released the first one, which mm. was like kind of stacking stuff up really crazily for myself. I had a couple zero interest credit cards lined up that I was like ready to use to pay the band and pay the studio. And also I could do a payment plan with Dan Nobler, who was producing the record for the second time. And so I had some flexibility in, in paying people, but I also was just like, it's just the real thing that a record costs that much money if you're going to pay everyone like mm -hmm. really fairly and at the time I was not touring I was working at Starbucks and I was not really sure if I wanted to be touring again or if I I knew I wanted to be writing because I was writing songs and I knew I wanted to be making records but I didn't know like if I had the I didn't know if it was like true for me mm. to still like be a touring person mm -hmm. after like I was in this band called the Stray Birds for seven years when we ended that band I just really it was just this like leveling experience and I was kind of trying to get back to a place of joy and mm. music and a, right. and a place of like real joy with people I was playing with and, and peace and so yeah I mean the process really started there with just taking that big risk of like, okay, these songs are raw and true and I need to record this music and I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but this is what I'm going to do right now. And so I just did it. And then it was, you know, I'm slowly starting to see that this is something that I do want to come back to and I do want to play music and tour. And, and it just started to feel like I felt like the power in it again and the power in myself to do it. And that's when, I mean, I, but really like at the end of October, I was kind of had this reckoning with the, with the cost of the record and the debt and how, like I was like paralyzed with how to move forward. And I remember talking with my boyfriend and I was like, I think I'm just going to go get like four mall jobs right. right now. Like, I don't know. Right. I don't know what else to do. Like I can't move forward. I just, I can't move forward with this money hanging over me. He listened and then was like, well, tell me again why you don't want to do a Kickstarter or some kind of crowdfunding thing because he knew I'd never done anything like that and so we kind of like talked through it and I just I really sat with the idea for a while and came around to it and called my little sister who had done one before and called a couple good friends and family and just sort of floated the idea that I was thinking about doing it and started to put it together and worked on it behind the scenes for about a month before putting it out. I mean coming out the other end on it of, of that process what did you learn? I think I learned that it's good to go out on the limb. It's good to ask for help and it, it's good to it's good to be honest even if that means like for me that was like I just had this private shame sort of for like this whole past year of like what am I going to do 
about this record that cost me this much money. And I don't, I'm not like doing any job right now that, you know, like working as a barista would never be able to like truly afford me that. That's how I could like pay rent and chip away at the cost of the record. But I I wasn't like playing gigs at any level that would afford that. So yeah, I think I just, I have like a vision for the music I want to make. And I didn't know if, if anyone would meet me there or if, if I was kind of, I just kind of felt shame or something that I was like getting ahead of myself and trying to do something that I wasn't ready to do. And I should have like scaled it down and did something different. But I think, yeah, that's, that's what I'm learning is if we open ourselves up and like take the risk. And I also have really wrestled and struggled with like the idea of risk. And like, I come from like a privileged family, a privileged background. Like I have a family that if this completely failed and I was in credit card debt, like I could ask for help. I could like go home. Not everybody has that. And so I think that's another thing that I've always struggled with in asking for help. Like when the Stray Birds started, we never did a Kickstarter, but we lived at our parents' houses for the first two years of the band. We were just touring, 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 like constantly, but we could just go crash at our parents' houses whenever we were not on the road. And that was basically in lieu of crowdfunding, like because that we, we didn't have to, you know pay rent in Nashville or or somewhere. So it's just kind of, I'm learning to feel comfortable with, you know, what I'm bringing to the table and trying to be realistic about the whole music industry. But in like, I feel positive about it. Like people want to support art and music. So that's where I'm at. It's, I could, yeah. I'm curious about the confluence of like where you're at now, right? Where you're like, I'm going to put out a record. I'm going to, you're at this point where you're like, I'm going to ask for help to put out this record. I'm going to make this record. This is what I have to say and who I am. And I'm, I'm interested in the confluence of that and you establishing an identity after having been in a band for a number of years. Like did some of that lack of confidence about like sort of asking come from the fact that you're making this new thing? Tell me about that. Totally. I think I really had, I really struggled after the band. I really struggled with not seeing my own work, my own solo work as like a reaction to the band or like something that existed in some like polar thing or some dichotomy to the band. Like my writing is my writing, but I think like because of the atmosphere of the band and of how kind of controlled of an environment the band was, it was so, so hard for me to step out of that and believe that I could take up space and make my own thing and that that was totally okay and and I actually had wanted to do that 10 years ago I wanted to be a songwriter and that's how the Stray Birds initially formed was around songs that I was bringing to the table to try to make a solo record and then it became a band and I put all that aside for a long time so but yeah I think that a lot of that has had to do you know sending an email out to a mailing list that I built with the Stray Birds and then, you know, the three of us share the mailing list now and it definitely feels it's it's getting easier and easier. You know, you send the mailing list out and then some people unsubscribe and I'm like, okay, thank you. Please unsubscribe so I don't send it to people who don't want it because I don't want right. to, I don't want to like interfere. In Maya, what a good attitude about that. I see that and my ego is bruised. I'm like, oh, like please, thank you. Like walk away. Thank you because I want to, I want to be able to whittle it down right. to where, where I feel really confidently like, okay, you guys are with me. Mm-hmm. Here we go. But right now I, f- I still feel a little sensitive, like, okay, maybe somebody hasn't checked that email in like two years and they're going to get it and be like, what the heck? I don't want this girl's news, right. but you know, what can I do? That's, I, I'm also c- coming to terms and 
being more at peace with and and feeling like a real pride about what the band was and all the work that we did too and it's i mean it was a big it was a big chapter it was like seven years what does it feel like to occupy this like you said this is the thing you wanted to do 10 years ago and then you're sort of you're in a band and obviously you're making that thing which is all stuff to be proud of but you're not necessarily occupying this space fully yourself what does it feel like to be occupying that space now it just feels true it feels like peaceful it also feels unhurried mm. because I want to make records and I want to make like I want to make an arc and like a catalog of work. Like I, I just want to write songs and I want to make albums, but it doesn't feel it's not hinging on anyone else's ideas or mood or, you know, it's mm. it, it just feels peaceful because I feel I just feel really sure that this is like one of the things that I have to give is to write songs. And so this is a way I can do it. And it feels really, really good to also feel a detachment from it. It's not like the thing that gives me worth as a person to feel this detachment from the kind of worth that I think 10 years ago when I was just getting started in music, I could see uh, with everyone around me just this feeling of like, however fast you could play the fiddle was how much someone would want to be your friend or something. And then sort of feeling that kind of fall away and fall away as I've just navigated the world for the last couple of years it's so good to do another job for a while you know I was like working the drive-through and another part of Nashville I had been living in East Nashville for a while I lived I moved across town and was like working at the Starbucks just off the interstate and had a lot of regular customers and a lot of random people coming in and occasionally a musician would come in and I think I was like recognized by a friend from you know the music world like two times while I was working there, but I really wanted to work in a space that was away from yeah. the music scene here and to just meet people and be doing something that had nothing to do with music and being applauded, yeah. you know, like on a regular basis. Like you don't get applause for cleaning the bathroom at Starbucks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Everyone does, you just do it. Right. I think like to be on the other end of like that experience too and just to be able to find joy in that kind of work too and that kind of day was really, really grounding for me and really important. And just stepping away from music and then being able to come back to it and be like, well, yeah, I still want to write songs. <laughs> I think you're the only musician I've ever talked with, not in private. I mean, this we're, it's private now, but this won't be private. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who has acknowledged the relationship between the feeling of self-worth and hmm. musicianship from the perspective of seeing that as a fallacy. Hmm. Like, I think a lot of people are still wrapped up in that, no matter how much perspective they have or how, how much age they have. What was the process like of figuring that out? Do you remember when you started to get perspective on that? I know that when The Stray Birds ended, I remember feeling like... I chose to leave the band, but I was still in total grief. Like, I mean, I felt like I didn't exist mm. after that for a while. I remember like going on a walk in the Shelby Bottoms and just telling myself that day, like, okay, I'm just going to look for something that is colorful and then I'm going to stand and just like look at it, stare at it. Mm. And then I'll just move on and find the next thing that's like a bright color and look at it. I just felt so much anxiety and so much emptiness and, and loss and confusion. And I, I think hitting that point was like really jarring for me. And, and then like, I remember going to training at Starbucks, like a couple weeks later when I got the, this job and 
I still have a voice memo. I just, cause I make voice memos a lot of like song ideas and stuff. And I just have this voice memo of me just crying on the whole way home from my first day of training at Starbucks. And I'm like, everyone is so nice and everyone's so kind and showing me how to do these things that I don't know how to do. And I mean, these, I don't know if I know a specific way to answer the question other than just like moving through these periods of just, I guess like not running away too, like was really important, not running away because I felt like I was like naked and didn't have this identity anymore. Because that was my first instinct was, oh, this thing's over. I don't know what to do with myself. I'll just like move or like go to a different place. And instead I was like, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to stay in Nashville. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to know myself better and there were people around me like towards the end of the band too who would say like Maya you gotta you gotta know that your happiness is worth it like there were some people who had some penetrating things to say to me who I really appreciate because they could see that I was numbing things and that I was not present and I wasn't joyful right so and it sounds like you centered to some degree doing work or having a life outside of being a musician for a little while not outside of it but yeah adjacent to yeah and I think like opening myself up to like all these other people who had all these other things to teach me and and I don't want to like blanket statement all musicians or anything but I do think because I don't know what other people are thinking but for me like I know that after seven years in a band like I had a real pride about like I'm playing music for a living this is really great and you kind of breeze through the towns it almost feels like you're floating and you don't ever quite have to like touch the ground and then I think to like really stop and just really stand still and just just be like making frappuccinos with people who are still in high school but so kind and teaching me things because of who they are and then there's people who are in grad school and in for like really amazing things and are also working there like just getting to know people as individuals like behind a counter was like really really cool because there's just no time for that when you're like zooming through a town and only relating to people who are coming to see you I think it can get delusional. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm just really grateful for that reset because I think it can get delusional in like narcissistic ways, but also like just just in a lot of ways. Mm. What is your relationship to Nashville? When did you get here and why did you come originally? I totally fell in love with Nashville when I was at Americana Fest, probably in 2013. And I remember just walking around, I think it was some neighborhood in East Nashville, walking around some night and there was a concert in somebody's backyard and a barbecue over here. And it just felt like so vibrant and just thick with musicians. And I was so excited about that. I was living in North Carolina at the time. I was living in Asheville. And I remember running into my friend Meredith Watson. We were at a show at Americana Fest and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just having such a good time this week. I think I'm going to move here. She was also living in Asheville at the time. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to move to Nashville too. This place feels really good. And we're like, okay, cool. Do you want to you live together? And so we just decided that night that we were going to look for a place together. Hmm. And then we moved with another friend of hers into East Nashville on New Year's Eve, like a couple months later. Right on. I think at first my relationship to Nashville was that it was this playground 
to hang out with my friends when I wasn't on the road because I didn't feel like, oh, I need to go figure out who the other songwriters are. And like, I did, I did, just felt like I already had some friends because I had this kind of roots acoustic touring community from the Stray Birds, like other friends and bands like Miss Tess and Lindsay Lou and other bands who were living in town and were just moving to town. And when we weren't on the road, we were just hanging out and partying and playing music and that was like my first couple of years here was just kind of living in that way. I, I just wasn't like deeply exploring Nashville. I was, it was like a playground. Right, right. And how has that changed since then? Well, when the band ended, I left East Nashville just because my house that I was living in at the time kind of was splitting up. The roommates were splitting up and doing new things. And so I moved across town to a neighborhood that's really close to Tennessee State University. Mm. And that was a totally, totally eye-opening experience. My boyfriend and I were some of the only white people Mm. in the neighborhood, and I had never had that experience before. I grew up in suburban Pennsylvania, and I knew that Nashville was really segregated, but I had just never explored. And I remember when he and I were driving around the neighborhoods over there and just like feeling, oh, wow, we are... we're sticking out and just like kind of feeling like a little anxiety and nervousness and both of us were like we want to encounter this this is this is messed up that we like that that our city is laid out this way and that we feel this way and like okay let's let's live here and so we we lived there for about six months before we moved to another part of town where I live now but that was like my first experience of really like night and day just being in a different part of Nashville and a different culture and making friends with the neighbors there. And our one neighbor is, she's just like the treasure of Nashville to me (laughs) now. Her name's Miss Anita. And I mean, her dad was like a big deal architect in town and she would want to ride somewhere. So I would take her in my car and we'd go get groceries and we'd drive across the bridge over to Bordeaux and like different parts of town where I just never been into Hmm. like her grocery stores and the pickup truck of where her friends would like bring their greens from the farm and sell them like across from Kroger, but we wouldn't ever go into Kroger. We'd just go shopping at the pickup truck parked Hmm. on the side of the street. Yeah. Like she, she was like a crash course in another part of Nashville that has been going on like long before the first scene that I saw in Nashville. So that was really eye-opening. And I also had just started working at Starbucks when I moved over there. So I was just meeting people who were living in all these different parts of town and some people who played music and some people who didn't and was getting to know them and hanging out at some of their houses. And now I live in South Nashville, which is a super, super international neighborhood. Our next door neighbors are Cuban, I mean, like one night we came home, we came down the driveway and they had a whole pig (laughs) hanging from their porch. (laughs) They were about to cook it like in a pit. Are you a vegetarian? Are you a vegetarian? I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Not because of that pig. No, no, no. Yeah, I just. But I am now. But, (laughs) but, you know, I did have some of the pig. Right. Because I can't. I guess I am like, I'm like a hospitality vegetarian or something. Like if someone's going to offer something that they've made in that way, I just, I don't know. I can't. Yeah. I was vegan and and traveled in the Middle East once and I was not vegan while I was traveling in the Middle East because it's like, you can't just be, you know, I choose not to eat the food that you present. (laughs) Yeah, they came over with, they knocked on the door. I mean, they had, this was like a weekend project for Mm. them and 
two of them came over and knocked on our door and just had this plate piled <laughs> high with pig and beans and rice. That's and so I was nice. just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like we went over and ate with them and hung out. But like last night there was just crazy loud music and we're like, where is this coming from? And we drove up the hill and my boyfriend Ethan was like, oh, I've, I've, I've heard about the mariachi house. I don't, like, I don't, I've never known where it is, but my other friend was saying there's this mariachi house in this neighborhood. And we drove up the hill and there was this house it was just like enclosed with tarps and like mm. pla- clear plastic. Some family had like built a tent, like an extension of their house. There was like a live band and they wow. were just like throwing a mariachi party. <laughs> at, and it was like 11 or 12 <laughs> at night. And just like, because it was right up against their brick house, it was just like the sound was like shooting off into the neighborhood, mm. like so, so loud. <laughs> So that's just been really cool to be in that neighborhood. Yeah, just seeing like yet another piece of life in Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, and I'm sure it brings refreshing perspective. I know being around musicians all the time can be a crazy making experience actually like in commu- like it's it's nice to be in the in the communities but it's can also be a bubble totally so you're hanging with neighbors who are making pigs and are having, <laughs> having midnight mariachi parties that's a good thing the musicians as well totally <laughs> just in a different part of town yeah i think it's just like any place is just like layers and layers yeah. of people <laughs> and once i once i left east nashville it was it became just because all the makeup of so many other neighborhoods are so so much different and it just became easier to kind of bump into all these other kinds of people and ways of partying. <laughs> so how's, how's this process of, I forget how you put it, but you put it so well about wanting to essentially compile a catalog. You want to make songs. How is that going? It's going great. I mean, I put this solo record out this January and this next one is coming and I have... A bunch more songs I've been working on this year and writing and I think the next thing I want to do is make a really really stripped down record that's maybe just like me and a guitar just Mm. singing some songs that's kind of the direction that I feel with this next batch of songs so so that's part of the catalog of what I think of is just of this process of of writing and then the other part of it is writing with other people and being a collaborator with people had this super fun experience in October, my friend Lindsay Liu has this side project called the Sweetwater Warblers mm. with Rachel Davis, who's also in Nashville, and then May Erlewine, who lives in Michigan. And all three of them are originally from Michigan. And they're just like a powerhouse vocal trio, all singer-songwriters, and they all have their solo projects. But they're doing this new band. Well, I guess it's not technically new. They've kind of had it around for a while, but they're going to really focus on it. And they finally made a full-length record. And I got to write with them for a couple of those songs and just sit with them and, and work on kind of getting inside of their world and trying to help help finish writing the album, but with them and with their voices in mind. And that was so fun. And, and then I got to be a part of making the record too. And we made that record in October. So that kind of stuff and, and writing with friends in town. And it's just started by writing with people I'm, I know really well and friends just for fun, you know, writing a song here and there. And sometimes it makes it on a record and sometimes it's just to get together and write or hang out. But that's something I really love because it's, I don't know, I learn so much by 
sitting with somebody else in that space. It's like super vulnerable to write with somebody else. And I just love it. I heard two things about you this week from people who I was talking with, uh, both very nice things. One was that you're one of the kindest people who live in Nashville, <laughs> which is a sweet thing, unrelated to this other thing, which is no one else sounds like you do. And, and that was said in a that was said in a loving way about sort of your voice and presentation. How do you sound the way that you do? <laughs> I know that that's a ridiculous question, but like, is this a way that you've been and have been presenting for years? Or is this something that you've been sort of creating over time? Uh, the way I sound like, yeah, the way, like the way that you sound also, they think like the kind of universe that your songs exist in. I mean, it sounds, your voice is absolutely singular for sure, but there's a very dreamlike world in which these songs exist. Does that change over time? Or is that something that you're, you're sort of working towards? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think the sound of the record, I think that has that, kind of, that has a lot to do with Dan Nobler, who's mm. been producing the records. But I, the actual writing, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's just what comes out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like when you say that you're looking sort of, sort of towards making more stripped down, yeah. more, more stripped down songs. Is that, again, is that something that you've wanted to do for a while or is that just sort of the next logical place to go? It just feels like the next thing to do. I think one of the things I like being solo is that I don't have to explain a decision. <laughs> like, I'm not that I don't want to explain it to you, but sure. like that I don't have to go to a meeting mm. and... And this is also why I don't really like I want to be my own record label because I like I want to feel and fumble my way through mm. a decision and then figure it out and, and do it because it feels right to me. And that's just the songs that I've been writing. And there's like a couple from earlier times too, like ones that I was writing during adaptations and then during this second one that I think just I just want to play them in a really, really kind of small way just like that with a guitar and not with like a, a band, like a big thing. Cause that's also why the sound, I mean, the records I think also sound in this dreamy world because of the musicians who are part of them. I mean, the first record was Anthony DaCosta played guitar and he's just super like atmospheric player. Mm. If, you know, if he wants to be, or he can play anything, but I think that's a big part of it. And there's a whole, there's a different band except for the producer and drummer on the second record but Dan and I found the people we thought would be the right people for those songs. And I think there is a thread through the songs too, but I don't know. It'll be easier to see it at a distance <laughs> sometime. <laughs> and in 20 years. Also. Yeah. <laughs> in retrospect, another distance. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I'm just so excited. I think also because I've really embraced the term like singer songwriter. Mm. That's like what I feel my genre is. I don't know where else it would go because I feel like I'm, a singer writing songs and the records that I want to make are just the musicians who seem right for the time for these songs to be in the studio. And I'm not trying to necessarily make like a specific band or a specific thing. I, I just want to write these songs and put them out. Right. Right. Does the term singer songwriter, that feels like that fits. Was that something you were trying to like avoid for a while or is that, d does that just make sense to, to who you are? I don't think I was trying to avoid it. It's just that it definitely wasn't what I was doing in the Stray Birds. Mm -hmm. Like I, like we were, I think we were always trying to figure out if we were folk or Americana or roots or string band, or if we were bluegrass, like sometimes we would play at bluegrass festivals and then we're like, maybe they just like the three-part harmonies. But 
I don't know if they're going to like like the content of the songs or right. or what if we play with the drummer? What does that mean? And I think that I just want to avoid all of those conversations. I want I don't ever want to be like what does it mean if I play with the drummer? I I love bluegrass. I love those festivals and I I will always love going and camping and hanging out at them. But I I think the term singer-songwriter I feel like I've embraced because I just kind of had to have this reckoning like, oh, wait, that band lived in that world and kind of straddled that world. And I don't know that this music is related. Like, I think it's, I think in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to go like play those same festivals that I used to play where all my friends are. But if I'm really being true to these songs and true to what I the sounds that I want to make. Maybe it's just better if I go and camp in the woods and play mandolin. Like, <laughs> I don't know, at least for like at, at this moment, yeah. like the songs that I'm making. And I'm just really hoping as the music grows and spreads to be able to play some folk festivals and some any other kind of festival that'll have me and any any other kind of room. But I, I think that singer songwriter is is a thing that I do. <laughs> I don't want to shit talk bluegrass because every like like one in three people I feel like have been in this podcast have had a foot in bluegrass, but it really does have a Stockholm syndrome effect on everyone who has played <laughs> in it a little bit where they're like, am I bluegrass enough? Like is is this okay that I'm doing this? Like is what what am I actually? It it really has a psychological <laughs> the people who are in proximity to it in one way or another. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's so many great, great songs in that world and yeah. so many great songs that I grew up singing and, and I grew up in a musical family. I grew up around that music and going to those festivals. It does have a, a strong hold. Yeah, all, I mean, all the people who created it like just died recently. So it's yeah. like they're like looking over, you know, preserving, preserving the genre in a slightly scary way. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I grew up playing classical violin and then got into playing fiddle and think it was, you know, it's just one of the worlds that a fiddle mm. thrives. So I wanted to hang out in that world. And maybe I'll make a bluegrass album someday. <laughs> totally. Well, congratulations on the album getting funded and on uh, Thank you. landing as a singer-songwriter. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for, for talking, Maya. Totally. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Nashville Demystified is brought to you by Knack Factory and We Own This Town, as I've said. The episode was you know, put together, engineered, assembled by the wonderful uh, Michael Eads, who is the father, the godfather of all things We Own This Town. I appreciate his help with this week's episode. If you're doing the Thanksgiving thing, I hope you enjoy yourself. And please be careful. Don't be a fucking idiot and drink and drive around. Just if you're going to drink, drink in Uber, maybe, or walk and and even be careful with drunken walking. I don't want you to hurt yourself in any way. I want you to keep listening to this podcast unencumbered by your dumb decisions. I think that's it from me. What else could I possibly say? What else could I possibly say, dear listener? Uh, join us next week for another show. Whoa, the dog <laughs> needs attention. The dog requires attention. All right, y'all, take care. <laughs>